KYW Original Podcasts. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic in Philadelphia, subscribe to KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Coronavirus Pandemic from KYW In-Depth. I'm Charlotte Reese. We are living in a digital world now more so than ever before due to the coronavirus pandemic. Our work meetings are virtual, classrooms are virtual, our hangouts with family or friends, and even job interviews. And as a result, we're starting to hear phrases like Zoom fatigue and people saying how video chatting seems to just zap all their energy, way more so than when we were just meeting in person. I wanted to find out more about Zoom fatigue, what it is, what causes it, and if there are any tips and tricks to keep video chatting without needing a nap every day. So I reached out to Dr. John Medaya. He's a psychology professor at Drexel University, and he was nice enough to video chat with me so I could ask about video chat fatigue. Just to start off, can you introduce yourself and tell me what you do? Yeah, my name is John Medallia. I'm assistant professor of psychology and neurology at Drexel University. I am the principal investigator of the Cognitive Neuroengineering and Wellbeing Laboratory and a co-investigator at the Penn School of Medicine, where I am in the Laboratory for Cognition and Neural Stimulation. So all of those words mean basically uh, I'm a neuropsychologist by training, but I'm interested in things like how we administer self-control, how we focus our attention on things, uh, how we control the language that we use. And we use a variety of techniques like neuroimaging and brain stimulation to understand how these things work when we're healthy and then how to modify or improve them when we have a disease like a stroke or an acquired dementia. So I kind of, I I cross sort of a wide range of of tools and models, um, but fundamentally I think about how do our brains work and how do they go wrong and how can I make that better? You know, since the coronavirus pandemic, many people are working from home and teaching or learning from home. Mm-hmm. One common denominator, Zoom, go to meeting like we're talking on now and video calling. Can you just mm-hmm. explain the difference between meeting in person versus these video calls and how our mm-hmm. brain responds to the differences? Um, I think there are quite a few, uh, just a few to maybe call our attention to our people are three dimensional, but we're looking in two dimensions all the time. So we kind of superficially think we're doing the same thing maybe when we look at a video. But what we're really doing is just kind of tracking one way of seeing that person. We tend to kind of have to focus on that face in one location in time, whereas you can see right now I'm moving a little bit around if you could see the video. And you're not always necessarily just locked on to that visualization. Your eyes are moving around, you know, you're looking at people's hands and their bodies. So it puts this very different demand just on visual attention where people are staring and then they're not necessarily able to disengage as fluidly as they might otherwise. So that's one kind of difference. Often, and I have one of these right now, right? You can see yourself. So what's usually not happening is this kind of an automatic feedback where you're very self-aware. So you know that when you're talking to somebody else, they're paying attention to you, presumably, at least part of the time, but now you're also noticing yourself paying attention to them or not. And so we're all very aware that this is kind of like a visual social experience with one another. And that's in front of us the entire time. 
Uh, so again, just the demands of the situation are very different and in some ways much more significant than they are when we're just having a natural conversation in person. That makes sense. And, you know, one of the new phrases that we didn't know last year is Zoom fatigue. Can you explain what Zoom fatigue is and what the odds are that you, I, or, you know, people out there have it right now? Yeah, sure. So uh, there are a few ways of thinking about that, and not all of these are minor new. So I want to give credit elsewhere. But um, from my world, when I think about what feels hard to us and what tires us out, there's this general idea that it's basically just a measure of how hard is this and how rewarded do I feel by it. So, for instance, if you're doing something really challenging, but I give you more rewards now or later, right, you're going to be more inclined to stick with it. You're probably going to feel less tired. You're going to feel more excited. Right. And then you might engage in the long run. So this is presumably why, you know, a high performance athlete sticks with what they're doing. They get sort of a rush out of it from their body feedback. Uh, they like to do things like winning and um, winning later is worth a little bit of effort now. And so when we're doing that naturally in conversation, we find it rewarding to move, to be close to one another. That just automatically activates these reward systems in the same way that if you get like a friendly touch or a hug, that's motivating to most people. Um, so we've automatically removed that. The proximity isn't there. So the rewards are automatically probably a little bit lower. And because of what I was mentioning earlier, we just have to kind of stay focused in a way because we're kind of on stage all the time in some sense. Um, now the demands are higher. So we've automatically kind of screwed up that feedback system between how hard it is, effort and reward. Um, another thing then is because of that, we're all changing a little bit our behavior around it. So for instance, you might go wind up the day on a happy hour or a board game or something relaxing with some friends or family members. Now, as even when I talk to my wife, right, you get to the end of the day, people want to replace that with a virtual happy hour, but now we're doing some version of that same task again. So you're kind of feeling almost like this, this punishment and reluctance in advance. It's like, oh, I, I dread doing this on Zoom. And even if you're not aware of it, it's probably because that's just more demanding and it's not varied enough to be rewarding and you're not close to the person that you're looking at. So the fatigue part is you, you might not notice it in the moment. You might make it through the meeting okay, but this is one way of thinking about over time why we now kind of feel fatigued after many days of doing this all the time. We screwed up some of the social reward component and then we've made it more of an effortful component to the whole thing. The last idea that kind of really relates to this is something that this is making us aware of kind of in the back of our minds are our mortality, right? It's exhausting to think about prospects like death and the structures that we care about shifting in some way. The fact that either ourselves or loved ones might be losing jobs or have some threat of losing jobs. What does this mean for the world after this is over? When will this be over? I don't know. So. When we're uncertain, it also heightens our anxiety. And so now we have kind of this terrible combination of things. We're, we're trying harder to do what we need to do. We're more self-conscious and aware. Our social feedback and reward is out of whack. And we don't have any sense of when will this end and how will the board be. So now the stress response is really high. So you add all this together, and this is kind of a perfect storm for our bodies to just like start to feel a little run down and fatigued all the time and sort of dread having to do more of it all the time. Yeah, I definitely, I don't know if you've seen, you know, there's coffee mugs now, memes on the internet that say, I survived another Zoom meeting <laughs> that should have right. been an email, 
right? Like right. things like that. Right. So, yep. but do you think, you know, there's anything to that now that, you know, it's just a push of a button and, you know, instantly we're meeting with people. Do you think we're yep. overusing the virtual face-to-face communication? Sure. So it's it's funny because even before this was happening, you had the ease of the email in the first place, right? So we had a complaint for a long time about everybody's accessible all the time now, but now you can instantly have our faces looking at each other and that's normative in a way. Um, so in terms of overuse, uh, it sort of depends maybe what we are using it for. So if it's to have a meeting because I lack social contact and this is my proxy for that, there's some role for that, but then it's this trade-off with if you're doing too much of that, that creates this feedback cycle and actually just kind of reinforces the fatigue and the, the broken effort reward cycle to that. Um, so too much, I think in a sense that you can understand that almost in how people are responding now. I don't know about you, but like I've had meetings now where you can kind of tell first everybody used to have all their faces on the sort of parcellation of the screen. Now people are more inclined to, without announcing it, just not have their camera on. There's a couple of things there. People are kind of disengaging that mirror feedback of themselves is probably part of why they're doing it. And they can also kind of do what you can normally do in a, even a meeting situation. You can be a little bit disengaged and it's okay, right? It's like you're not expecting like the next response to come every second. There are natural lulls and sciences, but now studies have shown that when people are not responding or not engaged in a video format, they're perceived as less friendly and likable or less informed. And so even the way we think about people is different and more burdensome. So, so I don't know if it's, it's, it's necessarily an issue of too many. I think that people could think more strategically about these things, right? It's sort of like, oh, well, what, what really is the purpose of the meeting, which we could all benefit from all the time. But when we're doing that meeting, it's okay to say, okay, am I lonely? Do we need a little bit of like a social pick-me-up right now? Okay, well, you have a little bit of time for that. Can I do this task without the camera on, right? Uh, can I start the task on that meeting and then get the rest of it offline pretty quickly, right? And so we don't need every meeting to be a half hour, 45, 60 minutes. We could use it as literally just say, it's nice to see your friendly face. You're still there. I know that. I can see it well. That's all we know really needed this part of the meeting for. So it, it could really change kind of the way we think about what the meeting does for us and then mitigate the harms, I think, by reducing the costs. Right. And then, you know, kind of on the other side of this, do you think it's harder for people or certain types of people than others? So, you know, some personality types out there, I kind of think might be loving these changes, right? Like the Instagram models and influencers, right? They were kind of born for this screen time right now. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I'd be curious what you think or have noticed. Um, I, I mean, uh, so, so even people on the opposite end of the spectrum, right? So I, I would self-identify too as more of a natural loner and I, I learned to be more social, right? And so I enjoy that engagement, but I don't mind sort of being in my, my home environment. I constructed that well, it's comfortable. Then I can kind of come out and engage when I want to without a lot of the other um, uh, problems that can come with that. And then I think you're right that on the other side, people that were just like naturally gregarious and they loved the attention we're already ahead of the curve and knew how to do all of that. Um, so um, that is definitely, I think, a personality difference that that matters. And I, people are just now starting um, to study, you know, how that how that mediates anxiety. Some people might just really be loving it because they were doing it all the time anyway. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I, you know, you do start to think how 
you know, studies and how even like research is going to change now because of the time that we're in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think um, our lab has done that to an extent. And uh, yeah, I've other psychologists I was even just talking to earlier this week have, have started to shift how they do their work. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, you know, obviously right now it's not a choice. Like we have to do video meetings and classrooms have to be online. What are some positives for video meetings? I, I can speak as uh, an instructor when I teach. Right now I teach at the graduate level. And uh, I think I was surprised at what was different and how hard it was because of what was different. But very quickly, it made me think a little bit harder about what do I really want to get across in the time we have? Because I can't do, I naturally use my body very expressively when I'm expressing statistics or psychology or whatever it is. So I can't quite do that. And I can't quite get the same feedback from students. I just get the sort of, you know, panoply of like stone faces that are tired of doing Zoom. So sort of what I've started to learn is varying it and shaking it up still counts, right? So don't, don't only do the same thing, right? Um, if, depending on how much time you have, you can't only be lecturing somebody all together. If you're hanging out with friends, maybe you don't only want to play the game or have the conversation or look at people holding beverages. Um, vary it. That's part of what happens naturally in social environments, even when it doesn't seem that way to us. Um, so a, as a positive to that, I I think and I hope and I, I, I bet will happen is that people get a little more creative with what they do with the time they have because now they're going to come back in presumably one day to in-person environments and, and generalize that while we're away from that. And before we can get back to that, I think it's going to challenge people to really focus on what they want to get out of things. So I think that there actually really is now for, for many, not everybody, obviously, but for many people, a sort of more appreciative stance of, you know, these are the things I value. That's why they're valuable to me. There's a reason that I'm reaching out to this friend after a long time that I've never talked to in Zoom. You know, this is that time to do that. I've done that several times and it's incredibly rewarding just to find those connections again. Um, and so I think it's a time for people to be reflective really in a sincere way and then think about what they can bring back to the situation while we're in it. And if you can, can you explain the differences between kids and adults who are using video meetings right now? Is there... I think of little kids, you know, I have a little cousin who's six and has preschool versus, you know, our morning meetings at KYW. It's it's all mm -hmm. different and it's all, you know, five days a week now. Um, mm -hmm. is, is, there, is there differences? Are like kid brains and uh, adult brains, are they responding to what's happening differently? Uh, I imagine they will. And, you know, not not having seen too much in my household. I don't have young kids right now. Um, have, from what I've seen from parents and what the literature would, would tell us about this is kids' brains are always just optimized to learn, really. I mean, you know, as the old trope goes, the, the frontal lobes, which regulate a lot of our planning and effortful control and planning behaviors and everything that adults enjoy and use all the time, is really fundamentally at the brain level developing for years up until our late 20s even early 30s in some cases. The kids are now more than ever just probably sitting around stirring for new stimuli and, and things to learn and things to use. They're usually pretty happy then to engage with things for a long period of time. So um, because they kind of find that rewarding just to be engaged in learning what they can from it, they can really stick with it often a lot longer than an adult can in some cases. 
And on the other hand, as soon as they're bored, they need a lot more stimulation elsewhere. So again, you have this sort of thing that I, I imagine is driving lots of parents kind of crazy everywhere right now where it's like, you know, I can't quite figure out what's keeping them engaged long enough to learn the thing. And then there are only so many new things it seems like I can expose them to. And of course, most of them are coming through screens um, for a lot of the schoolwork. So, um, you know, looking around to the environment of the household creatively, thinking about how to teach them to do things you might not have until they were older. Um, you know, I've heard of parents taking all of these experiments on to try to figure out how to engage the kids the right way. And I guess, you know, just to end, this may be something that many of us have to get used to, right? Zoom meetings moving forward for, as you said, who knows how long. Uh, do you have any suggestions, uh, pro tips of what people can do to reduce Zoom fatigue? Um, yeah, I can give you concrete things, some that won't surprise anyone. So starting there, uh, get up and take walks, literally. So um, physiologically, remember, you're, you're, you're more stressed than you're used to, even if it seems like you're not doing that much. Um, your eyes are probably a little fatigued and strained. You're doing this visual attention, sustained attention game. And what we know from lots of neuroscience for a long time is simply disengaging and moving your body around does a lot for you. Um, but you have to intentionally disengage, get up and go do it. So that, that five or 10 minute walk really does make a difference. And it's okay to sprinkle those throughout the day. In fact, it's, it's really to do that. So just physically doing that. It's very easy to, to not exercise and do those health behaviors. Or if you're not used to exercising, start it anew. This is a really good time to form new habits, right? So you have probably a little extra time on either end of the day, not commuting or whatever it is we're doing. Establish a couple of those habits. Start the day with simple things like a glass of water. Do again, if it's just a simple walk, that helps. Uh, if you can get an exercise regimen going or sustained, that's excellent too. I think when you're, again, it's a, it's a social thing. So figure out, is this because I'm lonely I'm having this meeting? Is this because we really need to have this meeting to get it done? Is it because, uh, you know, I didn't know another way to reach out to this person? So really think about the medium you're using to get a task done. And if you are lonely, I think, it, you know, as a psychologist, it's hard for us to admit to that to ourselves sometimes or to one another. It's like, yeah, this is a lonely time. We're all physically isolated. What can we do to make that better? So just by having that conversation, now when you need to have that virtual happy hour, you all sort of know the reason you want to do that is because you're kind of sharing this experience. And we know from a lot of literature that just knowing we're in it together and reminding ourselves of that can be rewarding. It feels good to know other people are in it. So I think just looking out for those little opportunities to make adjustments and engage your friends and colleagues and family members in a little process that this is unprecedented. Nobody's been through something like this before. And so we all have something in common that we should acknowledge uh, might go a long way. Thank you so much for your time today, John. Yeah, my absolute pleasure. This is great. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth Coronavirus. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic here in the Philadelphia area or how it's affecting you, subscribe to the KYW In-Depth podcast. Search for KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Charlotte Reese, and we'll have another episode out soon.